Today I'm going to speak to you about trials, tribulations, and God's refining fire in our lives. What I'm going to do is show us how we are to conduct ourselves and overcome as Jesus overcame. The reason being is He's the example we're supposed to follow. Now first off, let me ask, who suffered more than our Savior? Hebrews 4, 15, 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I could give you illustration after illustration of saints and martyrs throughout history. But nothing compares to what Jesus did for all of us. For heaven and for eternity at the cross of Calvary. If you would please turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now how many of us would have, have trouble just fasting for one day? Let alone forty. Verse 3 says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word's more important than food is in our lives. Now we know how much we appreciate food, but we need to appreciate God's word that much more so. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan was using scripture. Satan knows scripture. But Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. How many people do we see in this world tempting God every day with foolish acts and selfish acts and stupid acts? Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here was Satan asking the Creator to worship him. That shows you a lot about the character of Satan, doesn't it? But, you can say the same for a lot of people in this world. They think that God should bow down to them. They learned it from their father, the devil. Now these verses in the book of Matthew, they emphasize that Jesus, unlike Israel, passed his test in the wilderness. They failed theirs. Matthew makes this biblical experience clear, even in simple ways like saying, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And basically this reflects a common biblical 
typology of God guiding his people in the wilderness in Exodus. Jesus quotes three texts from Deuteronomy here. And we know where Deuteronomy came from when they were in the wilderness. All of them commandments that Israel failed to obey, but that Jesus is determined to and does obey fully. God knows everything that you've went through. He knows everything you're going to go through. And He's in control of all of it. 1 Peter 5.10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That's a great promise. But our problem is, is that instead of seeking to learn and grow spiritually in the midst of our trials, what do we do? We try to bypass it. Or, or find a way around the refiner that's standing before us. That's what we do. We try to find a way around it. We fail to grasp what it says in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Which says, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we act like the Hebrews who in Exodus who wouldn't submit to the will of God and they did as they say, they kept walking around the mountain. Which we like to do that as well. Over and over again. Even when we think that we have found a way around the refiner's fire after wasting so much of our time and of our life wandering the refiner's still there waiting. And the fire that we've been running from is still there. Waiting to purify us. So do you want to keep going through the same agonizing tests and tribulations again and again? Or will you seek God's grace and mercy to bring you through them? We know 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Only God can take us through. We don't have to understand the why or realize the outcome. And we have to understand that only the Holy Spirit can guide us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We have to ask God for help in prayer. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That is how He will answer us. God is not going to help us if we don't ask Him. Yes, He will intervene. But He wants us to come to Him in prayer. It's done so that we will be inclined to give God the credit and thanks that He garners for our coming out of a trial. 
Because if we don't do it in this way, we would not give credit where credit is due because that's the nature of our flesh. Human beings, we have horrible short-term memories when it comes to God helping us out of tough situations. We have horrible, horrible short-term memories because we forget who brought us out of that. What are you worried about? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're not supposed to worry, but we do. You know, it doesn't matter how many flaming arrows of the enemy are coming down on you. If they're coming in droves, it doesn't matter. Your only shield to fend them off is the shield, which is Jesus Christ. Patriarchs, prophets, and apostles in Scripture matured through the times of testing. They knew the depth of God's grace that had sustained them. They didn't boast in the success in the trial, but in God's empowerment. That's what they boasted in. Without which they could not have overcome. Jesus went into his testing only after the Father had empowered him in the Spirit. Remember, as soon as he was baptized, what happened? Right after that, the Spirit took him to the wilderness. We only survive, strengthen, and thrive because the Holy Spirit gets us through. Jesus carries us through. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. All things through Christ. How many mornings have you got out of bed and the first thing you did was started to worry about an ailment or issues in your life? That's the first thought that pops in your head. And then guess what? You're ruined before you even take a step out of bed. That's why it's so important to study and memorize Scripture. You know, why not make your first thought a verse like 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10? He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, a lot of people beat themselves up because they think that they have to be a theologian to understand Christ and God's Word. No, you don't. God's given us the same training manual and the same Holy Spirit that He gave to His apostles. There's nothing different. Read and study your Bible. Pray. The amount of degrees and doctorates says nothing about your faith in God. God's no favor of persons. He loves all and died for all at the same degree. The world and its enticements and pitfalls are going to come at you constantly. We know that. The Holy Spirit will give wisdom to avoid temptation. Also the words and understanding of those who seek Him. God will always fill in where we fall short if we're dependent upon Him. When we depend upon ourselves, that's when we fail. When others come against you, And I know you guys have ran into those situations and and you're speechless. You don't know what to do. God will give you the words in time of need. Luke 21, 15 says, 
For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. But you have to lean on Him to give you that understanding and that wisdom. You know, God's refinement with holy fire will enhance us as Christians when we are in obedience to His perfect will in our lives. God's perfect will is when we are following Him steadfastly, heeding the Lord in the call for our lives. We are doing what God tells us to do. You don't want to be caught up in a permissive will. God's permissive will is where He leaves us to our own devices. This is when you're out of fellowship. This is where we cause destruction, we lose eternal rewards, and we bring unneeded afflictions upon ourselves. And basically all this does is causes us to need to stay in that cleansing, decontaminating fire even longer. That's all that does. So what do we do? Do we persevere or do we throw our hands up and feel sorry for ourselves or blame others and not seek God's forgiveness and mercy? How many of us have done that? Blame other people. Blame situations. Make up excuses. I know I have. Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In Job 2, 9 and 10, after Job lost everything and then he was attacked physically by Satan, where God said, do whatever you want to him, just don't kill him. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? His own wife. But Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. She ridiculed him. His friends, they gave him bad advice and blame. Job resented even being born. And in his self-pity, he questioned God. And then what happened? God in turn questioned Job in chapters 38 through 41 in the book of Job. I'll read you the first part of 38. Job 38, 1 through 7 says, um, when he revealed his, his omnipotence to Job, he says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Uh-oh. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now let me ask you something. And we all question God at times, right? But who are we to question God? Who are we? And then after the questioning in Job 42, 1-6, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, 
but now my eyes see you. Therefore I have I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And not long after this, God pulled Job out of the fire. And he was polished and blessed much more than before he went in. And he went through tremendous trials. He lost everything. The life of Job is proof that man usually has no idea what God is doing behind the scenes of the life of each believer. He's the proof of that. You know, all humans ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? It's an age-old question. You know, it's sometimes difficult to answer in human terms. But believers have an advantage because we know that God is always in control. And no matter what happens, there are no coincidences and nothing happens by chance. As a believer, you better believe that. Job was such a man. He knew that God was on his throne and in total control, though he had no way of knowing why so many terrible tragedies were occurring in his life. We don't know why we're going through things, but we have to know that God is in control of all of it. And there is a reason for it. Job never lost his faith in God under the most distressing circumstances that tested him to his core. You know, it's hard to imagine losing everything in one day. Property, possessions, your children. You know, most people would sink straight into depression or even be suicidal, wouldn't they? But Job never wavered in his understanding that God is still sovereign. Neither should we, no matter what we're going through. Job's three friends, on the other hand, instead of comforting him, they gave him bad counsel and even accused him of committing sin so grievous that God was punishing him for it. Job knew God well enough to know that he didn't work that way. In fact, he had such an intimate personal relationship with him that he was able to make the statement in Job 13:15, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. How much strength and faithfulness in your relationship with Christ does it take you to say, even though he slays me, I will trust him? And you have to be okay with that when you say that. There can be no angst in your voice when you say that. Job says, he's ruined me, he's crushed me, but I still trust him. I think it's wiser than instead of questioning God, that we should focus on the example of our Savior. And ask that God's will be done in our lives and not our own. Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, 
Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And in Luke twenty-two forty-one through 44, it talks about the same story of Gethsemane. It says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. If God is calling and sanctioning you to do something for Him, you can and should expect to be tested. You can expect testing proportionate with the seriousness of your call. And you should accept it, thankfully. Now the devil may not show up in person or test you on the same supernatural level that he did with Jesus. But your hardships may seem unbearable apart from the grace of God. It's because they are. Comfort, strength, and resilience only come from God. Trials are for our benefit even though we at times despise them. We don't like them, but they are for our benefit. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to comfort and reinforce us in our times of tribulation. Jesus asked three times for the cup to be passed from him. It wasn't the cross. It was the cup. What was in that cup? Psalm thirty-four, nineteen says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Jesus obeyed the will of the Father, and God gave him the strength to withstand. As he will us as well. Psalm 34, 17-18 says, When the righteous cry for help... The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Every trial has a purpose. Every trial has significance. Every minute of tribulation that you endure with the strength of Christ builds eternal rewards of glory that will be cast to the feet of Jesus for saving us. So where are you? Are you being... Fragmented, broken, busted on the cornerstone, which is Christ. To be strengthened for God's call for you, or are you out of fellowship or even saved at all? How deep are your roots in Christ? How much of God's word are you being fed and how often? Test your faith in Him. Test yourself to see where you stand in Christ. Repent and ask for God's mercy and forgiveness. Turn to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. A Creator who suffered and died a horrible death on the cross for us. You know, being December and getting close to where we celebrate His birth, we always have to remember His death as well. Because that's why He was born. God came down to us to die for us. You know, here was Christ on the day of his crucifixion, beaten, bruised, and his body nothing but a bloody, mangled mess. But even with his torn body, God viewed his son, Jesus Christ, gloriously hung from that cross as a spotless, without blemish, one and only perfect sacrifice to redeem all of mankind. God saw him as spotless. They saw him as a bloody mess. It wasn't the physical torture that Jesus endured that was immeasurable, my man. Many people have been crucified, tortured, and killed you know, by severe measures throughout history. The most unrelatable aspect to the human beings about the cross is the spiritual portion of it. Jesus, who was sinless and had never felt the shame and guilt of sin, took every sin that will ever be in human history upon himself. From the first sin in the garden until the last sin at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, he bore them all, all by himself. Then the cup of the full wrath of God the Father was poured out upon his Son, and Christ in that moment was forsaken, alone and totally separated from the Father in heaven, and it crushed him. That's what was in that cup, and that's what he has to be taken away from him. He's the only one that understood what the full wrath of God was. And he took it. No one can ever equate the excruciating weight and spiritual torment that at that moment he experienced when separated from God the Father. Jesus Christ drank every single drop of the cup of wrath of God Almighty. Jesus, the Son, did the will of God the Father fully, totally for you and me. No other human being will ever experience what Jesus Christ had to withstand on our behalf. Ever. It was to be done once. One sacrifice, and he was the only one who accomplished the full redemption and justification of the penalty of the sin of human history and future. And then Christ commended his spirit to God, spoke that it was finished. Finished means finished. That means we do nothing. Finished. And die with a broken body and a broken heart. For all of us undeserving fallen men and women. He did this so we would be deserving. Doing this because no greater love exists than the love for our Savior towards us. Now ask yourself after that how big is your trial. 
How horrible is your tribulation? How tough is your circumstance? Are you letting God cultivate you by obeying His will and trusting in what He has waiting for you? Are you trusting Him to walk you through or are you too busy feeling sorry for yourself to reach up and take the hand of Jesus Christ that's trying to pull you up? Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. How many of us have, uh, have had or have trials in our lives that are self-induced or self-inflicted? So you get to the point, are you, do you, are you sick of the defiance, the guilt, the ways of trying to justify your sins? You know, you have to face up to it. Realize that the picture window that your exteriors had a brick thrown right through it. Guess what it's shown? All the thorns and thistles inside that window. You know, the shredded pieces of what you're supposed to be for Christ because of what he did and what he's still doing for you. You put on a pretty picture, but when the gospel is thrown right through that, what happens? It shows what's truly inside you. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-5 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we should not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burned, and not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God's still small voice echoes like the chorus of a million voices. It shakes the ground, it stirs the fear of his mighty power, but do we listen to it? God's still small voice will bring this world to submission before him, so why do we not heed and not listen? Why must we wait for chastisement and correction instead of doing what he tells us the first time? I'm a prime example of this. I can tell you that stubbornness leads nowhere but to the woodshed. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to hate this world more than it is to love our Creator? When will we truly hear Him? James 1, 2-8 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Any doubt equates to that much lack of faith. Faith is belief without doubt. Faith is a secure belief in God and a trusting acceptance of God's will. 
If you died right now, would you go to heaven? Everyone should have been saying a resounding yes or amen. With the fullness of your being, with no doubt whatsoever. Now, if there's any shadow of doubt, you need to go to God right now. If there's any doubt in your mind about where you're going when you die, you need to go to God right now. The beautiful thing about God, and I know in my life and some of your lives will happen, He had to break you. You were broken totally before you went to Him, right? And once you realize that, it's not because of anything that you have done, but by the fact that God sacrificed and slew His one and only Son in your place for your sins, then you understand the full weight of the Gospel and that Jesus Christ has rescued you. If you have any doubt, go to the Rescuer. Because you're drowning. First Peter 1, 3-9 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, you know, when gold's refined, it's melted down so that all of the impurities can be taken out of it. God does the same with us, removing our impurities so that at the end of the process, we are polished, pure, and beautiful for the purpose of God's great glory. That's why we are refined in the fire. You know, when I look back in the rearview mirror of my life and see all of the things that God has brought me through, that makes me so much more thankful for what he's done for me, personally. Now, even when I feel that I didn't deserve it, that I didn't deserve him, he does. And that's why he came and died for me. That love that he showed someone like me, that he extends to you and to all people. In Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. For Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why we die to ourselves. You know, we all have our ups and downs. It's life. What I've found out is that you don't worry and let, you let God have full control of the situation. Jesus proclaims that he is the only way to the Father. The only way to heaven, the only truth, the only way to peace in your life, and the only way to climb out of any struggle you're caught up in. It's reassuring to know that you have a creator, a mentor, a father, a comforter, and a best friend that will walk you through anything. Now, Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. 
You know, I find many times when I start to doubt that it's when things start to get worse in my life, when I doubt. When I start to forget the sovereignty of Almighty God. God does allow us to struggle at times because what it does is it turns our focus towards Him and off of ourselves. You know, it's, it's, we should always focus on God, but all the billion distractions that we have to go through, they're thrown at us every day. I know it can be difficult. It can be very difficult. You know, I just know that every time I start to lose sight of Christ and His glory, what He does is He puts me in my place and lets me endure a hardship that makes me turn back and run to Him. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So if you're struggling, hurting, needing guidance, pray. Pray. Talk to God. He already knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to ask for it. You just have to remember that, listen, He'll do things in His time according to His will and not ours. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All things are done for the glory of God by true believers. Take heart, have comfort, and joy when you are being refined in the midst of a trial or an ordeal. No matter how hard it is, stay faithful. It means that you're a child of God and truly loved by Him. John 16.33 I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So when you cry out to God in earnest prayer, asking Him, God, what do I do? Lord, why am I going through this? Please answer me, Lord. You know, when God answers you, and says, trust me, or in divine silence he says nothing, you be happy with that. Be content with that. And serve him to the best of your ability. He will give you the answer at his appointed time. And it will all make sense to you then. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction is just for a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Every moment and event in your life is meaningful. Every single one. Even if it seems insignificant. It is all working for glory and eternity. Our mission is obedience to God's will, both in our destiny and in the most minute details. God does not always give us the answers to all of the questions that we have in this life. But in the end, He always delivers His own. Now in heaven... They'll all be answered fully. Have faith in Jesus Christ with every breath, every sorrow, every tear, and every shout of joy. Have faith in all things because all things are from God and return to Him for His glory. We must 
Keep Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, first in our lives. That is where you grow. Then He'll show us the way out of any struggle, trial, tribulations in our life. No matter how severe that trial is. He's the only way. You know, we hear the promise of our Lord in Revelation 3.21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. So what I ask you to do is hold fast in your trials and tribulations. Hold fast. Hold fast. Because your reward is coming soon. Stand strong. Hold fast. Know that you're a child of God and Jesus Christ is with you. His Holy Spirit will empower you every step of the way. This too shall come to pass. It's all fleeting. This small amount of time in our lives compared to eternity. This is where we are earning our rewards. This is where we are growing in Christ. This is where we are going to school. This is where we become what God has planned and ordained for us. We just have to remember, don't get caught up in yourselves. Husbands, wives, parents, if you see somebody struggling, whether they want to hear it or not, you have to tell them God is sovereign. God's in control. Tell yourself God is in control. Even if you don't think there's a way out, God is in control. You've had instances in your life where you thought, there's no way I can get through this. But what happened? God got you out of it. Did you thank Him? How quick did we forget that He got us out of that situation? I know many situations He's gotten me out of. I saw no way out. None. I thought, there's no, I'm done for this time. He got me through. And I know all of you have instances in your life where the same thing. So just please, please, please remember that God is always sovereign. 